So at the beginning of Exodus chapter 40, we were told that on the first day of the new year, so first priority of the year, Moses set up the tabernacle or the tent of meeting and all according to God's instructions. Then all of the furnishings and the equipment were anointed and the priests were anointed and consecrated exactly as instructed. And then the glory of the Lord or the magnificent presence of God appeared in a visible cloud which was so powerful that not even Moses could go into the tent. And we know that Moses had met God face to face several times. While I was thinking about this, a thought occurred to me. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. They had it easy. They had a visible sign of God's presence. If a visible cloud appeared in this church, maybe at the holy end, or maybe in the middle, would that make a difference? Would it make a difference to the way I feel about coming into church? Would it make a difference to the way I worship? How about you? What do you think? Let's be honest. Would we not be on our faces, or at least on our knees, at least for the first few weeks until we got complacent? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? Every week at the beginning of our Eucharistic prayer, we say, The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. And in lots of our songs, we sing about coming into his presence or him being with us. Do we believe this? Do we really believe that God is here with us this morning? And if so, how should we respond to him? Jesus said in Matthew 18:20, "Where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them." So, how much more with so many of us? When we meet together as the church family, we come to meet each other, to support each other and encourage each other. But the main reason, most importantly, we come to worship God and to encounter him as the living God. You know, it is possible for us to take God for granted, even to forget about his presence with us, even to ignore him. But one of the things that we've learnt from our study of the book of Exodus is that God really doesn't like being ignored. So let's think about what we can learn from the verses we read today. God had given Moses these incredibly detailed instructions about building the tabernacle and bringing God into the centre of the camp, into the centre of Israel's life. The instructions included the size and placement of every single piece of furniture, what they were all to be made of, and the decorations on absolutely everything, including the curtains, exactly and precisely what the priests were to wear and what colour all the different bits were meant to be, right down to the tassels on the bottom of the robes. 
And this had all taken a great deal of skill from the craftsmen and a great deal of generosity from the people in terms of their gifts and their time and their talents and their money. Moses started with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle and built outwards from there, as God said. So he made the most holy place around the Ark where only the priests could go and only once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Then around the, the outside of the most holy place was the holy place where the priests did their work for most of the rest of the year. And then outside that there was the courtyard where the sacrifices were made mostly. Moses and the people had honoured God and been obedient to him in the way that they provided all the materials and prepared all the furnishings and fabrics exactly as God had said. And then God responded by showing up to live in the centre of their community. And it was over the Ark of the Covenant that the presence of God hovered. But if the cloud lifted, they had to break camp at a moment's notice and go and follow the cloud. Let's think about the Ark for a minute and what was in it and why. Firstly, there was a jar of manna And that represents God's love and provision for the people. If you remember, he'd brought them out of Egypt. He'd provided water when there was no water. He'd provided food when there was no food. Then there was the staff of Aaron. If you remember, Aaron's staff had produced leaves and it had produced blossoms and almonds all at the same time, which, of course, doesn't happen. Um... That was God's way of demonstrating that Aaron was his chosen priest. But I think the purpose of the staff being in um, in the ark is to represent the fact that these are people on the move. So using it as a walking stick, it represents the movement, the, the readiness to go whenever God says they need to go. Then there were the um, the stone tablets with the covenant law on them, the Ten Commandments, which represent the need to take God seriously and be obedient to him. So the attitude that the Israelites were supposed to have towards God is an attitude of love and gratitude for his provision, of readiness to move when he tells them to, and of respect and joyful obedience, joyful because of all the amazing things God had done for them and the way he looked after them. So what about us? What should our attitude to God be? Of course, we're now in the New Testament era and we don't make animal sacrifices for sin anymore. And the reason for this is that people just found it too difficult to live without sinning. So Jesus came to make a new way for us to be put right with God. Jesus lived a life without sin and then gave himself as the perfect sacrifice once and for all for anybody and everybody who wants to accept his free gift. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, We have complete freedom to go into the most holy place by means of the death of Jesus. 
So we don't need a high priest to go and make atonement for us now. Jesus can make us clean and we can go right into God's presence. Romans 3.23 tells us that every single one of us has sinned, but that we can be put right with God because of what Jesus has done. Romans 3 verse 20 says, No one is put right in God's sight by doing what the law requires. Being a Christian is not about being good. We can never be good enough. We can only rely on what Jesus has done for us and accept his free gift of being put right with God with gratitude and relief. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. What does being in union with Christ Jesus mean? It means allowing Jesus to come into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and being in partnership with him. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is pleasing to him and is perfect. As Meg said last week, it's not about striving and trying our hardest to be as good as we can. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside and make us God-centered. You know, I think sometimes Christians seem to rewrite the parable of the prodigal son. You know the one that goes, there's a man who has two sons and the younger one goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And for some reason, the father gave him the money. And he went off and blew it on uh, what's politely called loose living. And he ends up penniless and looking after the pigs who have more to eat than he does. So he decides to go back and apologize to his dad and ask if he can be taken on as one of the household servants. Now, some people seem to think that it should go... When he got near home, he met his older brother, who said, The old man's still really cross with you. But if you like, I could put in a good word for you and see if he'll let you in. But you'll have to watch your step and be on your best behaviour. But you know, that's not the way Jesus told the story. Jesus said, The father was watching and waiting. And as soon as he spotted his son in the distance... He ran, which gentlemen did not do in those days. He ran to meet him. He threw his arms around him. He put the family ring on his finger. He put the best robe on him. And he threw a massive celebration party. Jesus says, there's a party in heaven every time someone turns to God. Living in partnership with Jesus is a joyful thing. We are allowed to be happy. 
Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 100 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, and, um, sorry, shout joyfully to the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness, and come before him with joyful singing. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice always. I will say it again. Rejoice. People are created to know and to worship God. If they don't know God, they tend to find something else to worship or to be the most important thing in their life. Something like power or money or sex or drugs or alcohol, maybe. It's like when the Israelites rebelled against God, they had to have something to worship, so they made idols. Crazy thing to do, but they did. People are made to worship, and they're made to worship God. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, King David said, Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. You might recognize those words from a prayer in the communion service. God says in Numbers 14, The whole earth is filled with his glory. Not just the church buildings, the whole earth. And as people of God, we should be able to spot the glory of God in the whole earth. When we worship God, we also want to please him by putting him first. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, by doing what he wants us to do and going where he wants us to go. So then, our attitude to God would be of love and gratitude for what he's done for us, of readiness to go where and when he wants us to go, and of respect and joyful obedience, which is remarkably similar to the attitude that God was requiring from the Israelites. Here at All Saints, we call ourselves a church on the way. We are keeping our ears tuned to the Holy Spirit, ready to go if he tells us to go, ready to serve him in joyful obedience, ready to change the way we do things if he asks us to. Is there something that the Holy Spirit wants to prompt you about this morning? Something he wants you to do for him? Something he wants you to stop doing for him? Someone he wants you to talk to? Something he wants you or all of us to do differently? Let's just keep a moment's silence to listen to the Holy Spirit and then I'll pray for us. Father God, thank you for your presence here this morning. Help us to recognize your voice and to be joyfully obedient to you and ready to move in the direction you want us to go. We're so grateful that you sent Jesus so we can be put right with you.
Please will you help us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.